Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You've often heard me say there's always a story, but before I introduce my amazing guest today, I have to tell you a quick story. I recently met up with a colleague and friend who's the CEO of Thames Valley Children's Center, the beautiful Jill Craven, and we had been talking about different leadership topics leading up to us getting a face-to-face meeting. And she started talking about diversity and inclusion. And I know you're going to hear from our guest and he coins that all the cool kids are calling it DNI today. And the next thing, she hands me a book called Birds of All Feathers, written by Michael Bach, who is a fellow Canadian from Toronto, Ontario. And you know me, I had to Deb Crow it. I had to reach out right away and find him. And I read his book and I wanted to have him on the show. And here we are a couple weeks later. So let me tell you a little bit about Michael. He is a speaker, an author, and a diversity and inclusion expert. He likes to argue that creating diverse, inclusive workplaces is not just the right thing to do. It is also the smart thing to do. It embraces an ethos of innovation and creativity. It's good for you and your employees. And Michael feels that it strengthens all organizations and it benefits the people you serve. So without further ado, Michael, welcome to Imperfect. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So I was already gushing to you because we're seeing each other. (laughs) They're only getting to hear the audio. I really love your book. And what I love about it is it's such a holistic approach It's layman's terms, and I really see it being such a culmination of your life experiences, your work experiences, your academic experience. So my first question to you from a leadership perspective is taking the culmination of all of Michael, personal and work, why did you decide to write this book and why was it the right time? Fill us in on the backstory. Yeah, so I... I've been in the the DNI field for 15 years and you know I've read a lot of books in my time on this topic and I would categorize them into two fields one is academic textbooks written by professors who come up with some fantastic ideas that may or may not be practical in terms of you know actually executing on them in a live work setting the other is written by consultants who are, want to sell you something. They're just giving you enough information to say, and then you can call me and hire me to do this. I, I didn't want to do either of those things. One of the biggest problems I face in my work as a consultant in the DNI space is I answer the same question every single day, and I'm really tired of it. <laughs> 
So I thought, I'm going to write a book that gives away all the secrets and put the power into the hands of leaders to do it for themselves. And they can hire me for other stuff. They will inevitably hire me to do all the stuff that's in the book. But still, um, I wanted to give away all the secrets that uh, would make it possible for someone to do it on their own. You know, I look at the testimonials and the reviews of presidents and CEOs and C-suite leaders across every spectrum, every sector. D&I, you, you allude to it in the book, is the cool kids. That's the term they're using. Everything is shortened and uh, yes, supersized and drive through <laughs> And But I love that, you know, you do take that holistic approach and it's integrating all aspects into the organization, which I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. I'm going to ask you my second leadership question, which uh, will have permanent residency on the show for all leaders. Share with us what imperfections that Michael has brought or still brings to his heart-centered leadership today. Imperfections? Are you suggesting I have imperfections? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Yeah, let's see. I uh, sometimes expect people to read my mind, which, you know, my mind runs a mile a minute. And sometimes I'll say, you know, with the thing and think that people actually understand what I'm saying. That is absolutely one of my imperfections. I would also say that I'm not a details person. I'm not somebody that is really going to get down into the nitty gritty of uh, an initiative. Uh, You know, I'm the big picture person. Um, I can get down in the nitty gritty. I just, I just don't like it. So I tend not to do a terribly good job at it. I think those are probably my biggest flaws. I'm sure if you ask people who work for me, they probably have an Excel spreadsheet of all the flaws. Um, But I, I would say those are the two I'd go with. Well, I haven't had that answer before, and I highly doubt that there's an Excel spreadsheet, but I do appreciate your humor. Now, one of the things in your book that I really love is you talk about and break down two distinct models of diversity and inclusion. And I would love for you to take the time and and feel free to walk down the red carpet and really give us the due diligence, because it's so well done in the book. And I think it really gives people a clear insight to the two different models. And there's going to be listeners that this may be the first time that they actually hear this. And because this is coming from you and this is your wheelhouse, I would like them to hear it from you. So please let us know about these two models and explain again how that all came about and how you developed it. Sure. So I think you're talking about the social justice model and the creativity and innovation model. So social justice model of diversity and inclusion is one that most people will be familiar with. It's when we say things like it's the right thing to do. And the social justice model stems from the civil rights movement, 1950s, 1960s, uh, where essentially what it meant was the straight, white, able-bodied man had to lose something in order for someone else to gain. And that someone else being a woman, a person of color, a person with a disability, indigenous, et cetera. And it's a model that relies on people to be selfless. Uh, It's a model that relies on people to 
be willing to give up things, particularly power. And I argue quite vehemently that it's a model that has not worked and is not going to work because it does require us to live in a completely selfless state. And the truth of the matter is that we're all motivated by self-interest. It's, you know, and I I make examples. I use the example of Gandhi being self-interested. In my definition, he was. We are motivated by self-interest. So I don't think the social justice model will ever work. And we say, the problem I have with the sentence, it's the right thing to do, is it assumes we all know it's the right thing to do and we all agree it's the right thing to do. But if we don't come from that collective sense of morals and values, we're in a bit of an awkward place. The model that I think is is bound for success is what we call the creativity and innovation model. And the core of that model is to say, we as business leaders, as individuals, et cetera, in our organizations, we face a multitude of challenges. And those challenges can relate to, we can't find enough people, our retention numbers are low, um, you know, engagement's low, customers, we want more customers, um, whatever the case is, the problems that we face as organizational leaders. And the means to address those problems is diversity and inclusion. The goal is the solution. Whereas in the social justice model, the goal is diversity and inclusion. And the creativity and innovation model is to say, I need a lot of really smart people who can attack a problem from different perspectives and bring a multitude of experiences with them to that problem. The end result is that we end up with diversity and inclusion, but it's the solution we're focused on. It's those business solutions that we need to pay attention to. That's the essence of the, of the model. And you know what I love about that? And it, this is going to lead nicely into my, my next leadership question. When I think about the social justice model and why leaders get stuck in the mud, if you will, I think they're pulling from that systematic way of thinking within their business acumen. When you say creativity and innovation, that first thought for me was heart-centered leaders would lead that model mm-hmm. because they're intrinsic thinkers, because they're putting people first. The solution is the people. The barrier is the people. Hence the name, <laughs> all feathers, right? Could have just you you could have changed yeah. the name there, but birds of all feathers with, you know, the meaning of all, it's the people. And that's why I really wanted you on this show because the creativity and innovation model, it just makes me feel like we're going back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I agree. Business acumen is always there, but I think it's time to, I want to say dismantle and eventually decrease and eliminate that wall of resistance, that heavy handed armor of leadership because people don't want it. And as global citizens, we are, a, we are a globe of people that come from a wide variety of backgrounds. So diversity and inclusion is everyone everywhere, regardless if we're at work, at home, 
you know, out in the community doing, you know, our favorite activities. So just the name alone makes me think those are the leaders that I'd like to sit beside at a board table. Intrinsic first, people first, and solution focused. Very much so. I When I think about diversity and inclusion in an organization, I have always said that it should layer over everything you do. It's not necessarily a standalone program off on its own. It can't work in isolation. It's about all of your processes, your procedures, your programs, your people, and thinking about every aspect of of what you do as an organization with that lens attached. The social justice model in it, and I get in trouble for this all the time, and I will continue to get in trouble for saying this, but the problem I have with the social justice model is it doesn't answer the question, what's in it for me? And if I'm a straight, white, able-bodied man, which surprisingly make up the majority of leaders, um, if I'm a straight, white, able-bodied man, what's in it for me? And if you can't answer that question, we've lost before we started. Well, I love that you keep getting in trouble. I, I daily get myself in trouble. So I'm happy to join the the room where we deflate the elephant because Fantastic. if we don't keep talking about this, how can we ever get to a resolution? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you talked about this in your book. One of the things that really drives me crazy, and I hear this every day, well, we've always done it that way, Deb. Oh, uh, Yes. You know, if we had a dollar for every time we heard that, we'd probably both be retired. Oh, absolutely. We've always done it that way. Does that mean it's the best way? Exactly. Or is just what you're comfortable with? Well, and, and you know, it brings up such a great debate when organizations depend on their internal sources and mm-hmm. don't bring in external consultants who can, no pun intended, give a bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. Because they're not part of the organization, they are looking inward to see who is intrinsic, who is extrin- who is extrinsic, and who's still stuck in the systematic way of thinking of. Well, we always did it that way. Um, if it's not broke, why are we fixing it? Which well, leads right into my <laughs> next question, and we didn't yes. rehearse this, folks. <laughs> you can tell I'm excited to talk about uh, this with Michael because I love this book. You talk about organizational diversity fatigue, and not only did I highlight this, I even circled it with a highlighter because I was like, oh my gosh, this is something I really want to end the leadership questions with. You talk about how this fatigue affects the majority of an organization, and the fatigue stems from a few sources. Please unpack this for our listeners so that they understand what this is, where it comes from, and what is the cause. Yeah, we're, we're seeing this now in particular uh, more than ever. Since George Floyd's death, it has been just this onslaught and people are exhausted. It is empathy fatigue. I mean, <laughs> the past 18 months from... George Floyd's death and all the death of, of uh, Black Afro-Caribbean people at the hands of police, um, Indigenous concerns in Canada here. We've discovered the bodies of some 2,000 Indigenous children buried in unmarked graves. Um, it's empathy fatigue, and we're exhausted emotionally and mentally. And organizations and individuals, organizations 
always reach a point of diversity fatigue because it's like running a marathon without a finish line and you just get tired. And I talk about this in the book. There's, there's very much individual diversity fatigue. Whether you're a DNI practitioner, you're a, an HR practitioner, you're a leader, you're a, uh, a volunteer doing work on a diversity council, we get tired of this because it's emotional work. It's not, you know, I'm not packing widgets. There's an emotional connection to this work. So it's really important that individuals take care of themselves, practice self-care physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, It's really important that they establish boundaries, that they connect with their networks. Organizationally, you can equally face fatigue because you're not seeing enough change quickly enough. And so organizationally, it's really important to make sure you're practicing self-care in the sense that you need to celebrate your wins. You know, it doesn't matter how small it is. Just celebrate the win, the the win. (laughs) Don't celebrate the win. That's a very different book. Um, You you have to celebrate that moment and uh, make some noise about it. Share, communicate you need to make sure that you are continuing to move this conversation forward. Um, I talk about it as being the incremental revolution, that it's the old, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so keep moving things forward. They don't all have to be these massive initiatives that are huge culture changes. They can be very small. But each small thing adds up to some very big changes. Um, So it's really important to make sure you keep focused on it and celebrate those wins because this fatigue, it can really become, you know, get you to the point where you just don't want to do anymore, where you just say, okay, I'm I'm done. I've had enough. Uh, And it's important that we keep moving things forward. Absolutely. And and you talked about one of my favorite topics that I have within my heart-centered leadership model, and that is modeling that self-care. Yeah. Oh, yes. When you can model that as a leader, you know, it's going back to the business acumen that we were speaking about earlier. It's not who's going to climb the proverbial ladder and get to burnout first. Those days are gone. As they should be. They were not good days. Absolutely. It's like velour, just hmm, not a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, fashion comparisons are always welcomed on the show. (laughs) You're dating yourself. So there you (laughs) go. At least I'm dating someone. (laughs) Okay. Let me switch to my quick, fast, fab four. We just want to know what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question. Tell us something that we don't know about Michael Bach. Oh, Um, there are probably many things you don't know about Michael Bach. I I was a child actor. I grew up in the entertainment world, uh, theater, film, television, um, was going to be a star. And, uh, at some point decided, um, this thing called a mortgage sounded like fun. So decided to hang up my, uh, my hat and change professions. That's pretty cool. But there's no, I have to to instill humor here. There's no acting when it comes to 
being an expert in diversity and inclusion. And I am now not going to use DNI anymore since I've read your book. I just want you to know that. Okay. I'm going to say the words because they are meant to be said. And when I say them and think them and talk about them, I'm always going to have that creativity and innovation kind of as my my awesome. back, the back of my mind now that I've I've read your book. So just know, see, you've made a Excellent. couple little switches. I had over. an impact. You did. Okay, second question. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Leading by example. Absolutely. Third question. You can't use your own book here. Oh, shoot. Name a book that was impactful in your life and tell us why and who is the author. Oh, good question. So my immediate reaction, there's a few that jumped into my head. Um, White Fragility was one, uh, which is by um, uh, Robin DiAngelo. There are so many really great books out there. Leila Saeed has one. um, But the book that immediately comes to mind is called Black Like Me which is by um, uh, John Howard Griffin from 1961. And he, in order to, he was a white journalist and in order to write a book that really spoke to the experience of black Americans, he um, took pills to color his skin and he lived as a black man. And fortunately he ended up dying of cancer because of the pills, but um, it was, for me, uh, a huge eye-opener growing up in Toronto in a very multicultural city at the time, um, still, I mean, now more than ever, but at the time it was, it was one of those books that I went, wow, that my experience is not the same as everyone else's. And it it's one of the things that kind of spurred me forward into this work um, when I read it in 19... 19- 80 something, um, was to say, I need to make the world a better place for people. It's, it's always interesting to me. And I've, I've interviewed over a hundred leaders on this show and there's always a book or there's always a movie or a conversation that just, you know, we engrave not only in our minds as a memory, but also on our hearts because it was impactful. So thank yeah. you for sharing. And uh, there's always more than one. It's always hard to pick. Oh, yes. I could. It's a fun question for me to ask. My last question is, what is one thing that you would love for our listeners to remember about you and our conversation today? There's one thing I would say that I use humor throughout the book, throughout my life, because I ascribe to the uh, the belief slash science that we learn better when we're laughing than when we're crying. And in reading my book, I hope you find the humor. Um, and if not, feel free just to laugh periodically, just uh, at nothing, because we need to laugh more. And this can be a very serious topic. And uh, I think it's, it's better to, to approach it from a place of humor. Well, I totally agree with that comment. I loved your humor throughout the book and it really 
it really motivated me to to call and figure out how to get you on the show. So you never know till you ask, right? You never know. And here we are. And I'm so glad you asked me. Well, I loved your book. We're going to we're going to put all of your details below in the podcast episode description and just know that it was really meaningful to me for a CEO who I hold in really high regard to hear her opinion of you as an author and that she feels this is the best book and that every CEO should read it. So let's get it out to the masses and let's no longer say DNI. Let's give it the creativity and innovation that both of those words mean. Let's start saying diversity and inclusion and not short form it or sidestep the beauty in everything that it brings to us in, in life and in business. Here, here. So Michael Bach, what a delight. So lovely to meet you and so grateful that you spent time and you even met with me today and you're on holidays. So that just means so much. And again, just know that this book moved me. I will be sharing it with the masses and with all of the leaders that I coach. Thank you for writing it. But more importantly, thanks for sharing your heart and your life's work and having a little humor and a little fun along the way. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Deb. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.